0: Thank you, Ruth Ann, for ministering in music. In light of the message of that psalm, or song, last week we discussed Psalm 3, which, in which the psalmist was complaining, if you please, lamenting to God, and not complaining out of bitterness and so on, but out of deep concern for himself and for God. This morning we want to look at another psalm Psalm 145. And we see that Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise. And we are not going to have any PowerPoint this morning. That's an oversight on my part. Somehow I didn't get the information to Karen, I guess. Jerry said, You're going to use PowerPoint this morning? I said, Yeah. I said, Karen didn't give you anything. He said, No. And then I thought, Didn't I give Karen what I was supposed to? So, the truth remains the same and we will go on without it. But a couple of thought questions. Did you meditate upon the Lord this week? Did you meditate upon the Lord this week? How much? Did you turn off your phone for a couple hours this week to meditate upon the Lord and praise the Lord without interruption? I know if you're on the job, you might not be able to do that, but maybe other times. Which is more important in your life, TV, radio, phone, games, or the Lord? What does your daily life communicate? This morning, we want to look at Psalm 145, and keep in mind that as you read the Psalms, there are different types of Psalms. The psalms, some of them are lament psalms. Lament constitutes the largest group of the psalms, where the psalmist is basically lamenting, sharing with God a hurt or a struggle. They're psalms of thanksgiving. These psalms were used, as the name suggests, in circumstances very opposite from the laments. Such psalms express the joy, or joy to the Lord, because something has gone well. Because circumstances were good, or because people had reason to render thanks to God for His faithfulness, for His protection, for His benefit. Then there are psalms of praise. Without any particular reference to misery, there was some recent joyful accomplishment, or it centered on God, just praising God for who He is. There are psalms of salvation. That is, salvation history psalms, they would be called, that reflect on the history of God working in the nation of Israel, especially in delivering them from Egypt and his creation of Israel as a nation. They're psalms of celebration and affirmation, and they tend to deal with the covenant and covenant renewal and songs concerning Jerusalem and Zion. There are also wisdom psalms which basically deal with living well skillfully and then there's psalms of trust the 10 psalms of trust center on or center their attention upon the fact that God is to be trusted even in times of despair his goodness and care for his people ought to be expressed god delights in knowing that those who believe in him trust him for their lives and he will choose to give to them. The Psalms tend to be written with parallelism, where you have a line and then a second line will build upon the first line. Then you have another line, and then the next line will build upon that. And you find that over and over again, repetition, but again, communicating truth. So Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God the King, I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, He has compassion in all He has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men might know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This psalm obviously is a psalm of praise, falling into the category of praise. Book five of the psalms, as we mentioned last week, the psalms being divided into five Books. The parallelism in this psalm is that the second line restates the idea of a first, of the first line, but in a more potent, powerful way. In verses 1 through 3, we find praise and light of the Lord's kingship. And then in verses 4 through 9, in praise of the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant. Then in verses 10 through 13, we go back to in praise of the Lord's kingship. And then in verses 13 through the end of the chapter, in praise of the Lord's covenant, fidelity. So we're dealing with praise of the Lord's kingship and praise of the Lord's faithfulness. In verses 1 through 3, we have praise of the Lord's kingship. Notice the words that are used. Exalt. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name. Verse 2, I will praise you and extol your name. Setting the mood for the psalm, it's a psalm of praise. And the object of praise is my God, the King. I will exalt you, my God, the King, whose name is the Lord in light of what is said in verse 3. Lord signifies God's covenant name. When he made a covenant with Israel, it was the Lord doing that. And keep in mind also that the psalm of praise is won by David, and David is the one who's called a man after God's own heart. But David is also the one that committed sin with Bathsheba, had a child by her, stole another man's wife, had Uriah murdered, but he still praised God. And as we found last week, even though one sins greatly, there is grace, there is mercy. And here we find David praising the Lord. And as the Lord is perpetually loyal to his covenant people, David calls on the community to praise the Lord with him, to praise God unceasingly forever and ever, every day forever and ever. In Jewish practice, this psalm was recited twice in the morning and once in the evening service. Now we can use a good dose of praise in our lives. Psalm 145 being full of praise. Praise. The reason for the praise lies in the Lord's greatness. In verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. When I was in college, I had a friend by the name of Dennis Smith, and Dennis Smith and I would get together occasionally, and we would just talk about God and his greatness. And as we discussed God's greatness, we would challenge each other with questions. And after an hour or two, we would have to step back and say to each other, can't take any more of this. God is just beyond us. But we stretched our minds a little, reflecting on God's greatness, and that's what the psalmist is doing here. His greatness no one can fathom, but nevertheless praising the king. In the presence of the divine king, the Lord, man must admit his limitations. If you stop and think about God and who he is and what he has done, we have to say, I'm really, really limited. In verses 4 through 9, in praise of the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant, these verses give some specifics of God's greatness. Notice in verse 4 that the unceasing praise of the Lord comes from grateful instruction of the new generation by an older generation. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Here we have the kids, for sake of illustration, 18 and under, being taught by the older generation, about what God has done in the past. He clearly says, one generation will commend your works to another. Here's an older man, an older woman like Al and Charlotte, commending to their children, to their grandchildren, to other young people. Hey, here's what God did in creation. Here's what God did in delivering the nation of Israel. Here's a Joe and Eunice explaining to their children and grandchildren, rehearsing over and over again what God has done in history. That's what he's talking about. Praise. One generation commending God's works, the Lord's works, to another. Verse 5, they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. He talks about mighty works, majesty, wonderful works, awesome works, great deeds, abundant goodness, righteousness, grace, compassion, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all. Stop and think about those terms again. The Lord's mighty acts, his majesty, his wonderful works his awesome works, his great deeds, his abundant goodness, righteousness, grace, compassion, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all. Stop in life and reflect on God. Whatever you have to do, occasionally get away from it all and reflect on God. As a family, maybe turn everything off and reflect on God in his awesome greatness, his wonderful works. The psalmist talks about about his mighty acts. Probably refers to the ten plagues of Egypt. The water turning to blood, the oldest dying, dying. Flies and other plagues. His majesty giving of the Ten Commandments. Smoke, the mountain trembling violently, and the sound of thunder. In Israel's history, his wonderful works, manna in the desert. God feeding a million plus people every day. They go out and collect their manna and collect twice the amount on Friday so that they would have some for the Sabbath compassion. He heard their lament while they're in Egypt. You begin Exodus and you find there that Israel had been complaining, lamenting, and God heard them. Slow to anger. By the time Israel crossed the Red Sea, going towards the promised land until they got to Mount Sinai, scripture says that they had complained in the presence of the Lord some ten times. But God continued to work. The perfections of God's character in verses 4 through 9 are the object of education, proclamation, celebration, and meditation. Verse 5, they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. The idea of meditation is to think to mull over, to chew on. It's like a cow chewing the cud. You know anything about cows? You know, they have four stomachs. They eat, and then they'll go and lie down, and they regurgitate. That sounds gross to us, but they do regurgitate, and they will chew the cud. And I can remember seeing cattle lying down, just, you know, you talk about someone chewing like a cow. That's where it came from. What are they doing? If you please, they're meditating on what they ate earlier. So we read Psalm 145, and what are we going to do? We're going to bring that to mind in the future, and we're going to meditate on God's awesome works, his wonderful deeds, his compassion, and so on. We just think about it. We dwell on it. We think about it some more, and we think about it some more. In praise of the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant. Some of you can watch a TV program, you can watch commercials, you can hear commercials, and some of you could cite them. Let's be able to recite God and who he is. One's own accomplishments become dwarfed in comparison with the mighty acts of the Lord. In verses 10 through 13, we find again praise in light of the Lord's kingship. The meditation on the mighty acts of God in verses 4 through 9 brings about an occasion for renewed praise of the Lord's kingship. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. The Lord acts in benefit of the covenant community Israel and all his creation. And the covenant community, Israel, giving thanks for many expressions of his kingdom, all which reflect the Lord's glory. Verse 11, they will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Verse 5, they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. Israel, the covenant community giving thanks to the Lord for his kingdom. The stability, it's everlasting. In verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. I find it interesting that as you listen to world news today and as Israel may have heard about world news in their day, that God is faithfully working out, accomplishing his kingdom. So Israel is at Mount Sinai and they get the Ten Commandments and they go on up to Kadesh Bardea and they're supposed to go into the Promised Land. And they didn't go in at that time, they went in later. But what was God? doing, accomplishing his kingdom. Israel chose to disobey. They didn't go into the promised land. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and I'll make my kingdom or build a nation through you. And Moses said, no, don't do that because of your character. What did God do? God continued to work, accomplishing his kingdom. I remember from my reading In World War I, people were very concerned about what was going to happen in the world. World War II comes along, the war to end all wars. And we know that that hasn't ended all wars because there have been wars since. But what is behind all of that? God is building his kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Israel, in light of what they went through, the psalmist David says, I'm praising you, Lord. Verses 13, 3 Or 13b, through the end of the chapter, we find in praise of the Lord's covenant fidelity, in 13b, the Lord is faithful to all his promises. He's loving toward all he has made. David committed sin, found forgiveness, but God had made a promise to David. David. That his kingship would continue and ultimately Christ came through that line the Lord is faithful to his promises his love evidences itself in re- restoration in verse 14 the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down now think about <clears throat> David think about the nation of Israel how many times they fell how many times they were bowed down And the Lord lifted them up and ministered to them. Think about your own life. If you're a believer in Christ as we walk with God, how many times have we fallen? Now he lifts us up when we're bowed down. In verses 15 and 16, he royally satisfies the needs of every living creature. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. You know, sometimes we can become consumed with people. But he says, the desires of every living thing. Do you ever think about birds? Sitting out in their limb, just worrying away. I think they're chirping in praise to God. (laughs) God's working is not limited to people. It involves his creation. The observations made in verses 13b through 16 lead the psalmist to renewed reflection on the nature of God in verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. Since the Lord is good to all his creation, How much more does he care for his covenant people? Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Members of his covenant fellowship, Israel, and I think we could say the body of Christ today, because they can call on him, they can fear him, they can love him. In response to the ascription of praise, the psalmist appropriately concludes with, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Part of life is to be praised. It's not all lament. It's not all struggle. Praise. As those who are created by the Lord, if you're a believer in Christ as a member of the body of Christ, I think we need to exalt. We need to praise. We need to extol the Lord and his name daily. And as we gather for worship. There's something about praise of the Lord that Deeply influences us. I would encourage you to memorize the works and the attributes of the Lord. Know them well. Something I started years and years ago is to memorize God's attributes, His names, and what He has done in history. And as I jog in the morning, I don't have to carry anything with me that way. My body's enough. And I can rehearse God's works in history. I rehearse His attributes, I rehearse some of His names. What am I doing? Just praising God. Memorize them so you can praise Him at any point in time. Medi- meditate upon the wonderful works of God. And I think that would include believers today for, the, for what we have in Christ. Meditate. What was it like for Israel to be before the Red Sea? Pharaoh and his army behind them. No place to go. And the next morning, they walked through the Red Sea and dry ground, and you think kids went along there, oh, there's a fish, there's a fish. We don't know. text doesn't say. But it's one of God's wonderful works. He parted the Red Sea. Nation of Israel crossed. And then the Egyptian army came through, and the water came back together. That's one of God's wonderful works. One of God's wonderful works is God spoke. The universe came into existence, meditating upon that. Our celebration of the Lord and our singing should focus on the Lord, his works, his character, his majesty, not primarily our desires. How are we, Commending the works of the Lord from generation to generation? Are we doing it as parents, as grandparents, as older saints? Stop and reflect in your life. Who rehearsed the works of God to you? And if you are over 30 or 35, are you rehearsing the works of God to the next generation? Ah, let's talk about creation. Let's talk about the Red Sea. Let's talk about the manna and so on. Rehearsing the works of God. For those outside of the body of Christ aware of the glory of the Lord's kingdom and might due to our praise of the Lord and extolling his name. Very pointed question. How many of us are anxious about what is happening in the Mideast with Syria and the potential for other things to happen? If we're praising God and his great works and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, we can live with confidence and the unbelieving world saying, I don't understand how you can live with confidence in God. Let's call upon the Lord, fear him, and love him. History of the Lord's might, majesty, glorious splendor, wonderful works, awesome works, great deeds, and character is vital to extolling, exalting, and praising the Lord. On January 7th, 1855, in the Park Street Chapel, C.H. Spurgeon, at the age of 20, began his morning sermon with the following words, and I quote, It has been said by someone, the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, nature, and person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in our own finiteness. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with, and then we find, feel a kind of self-content and go on our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, that our ego eye cannot see its height, We turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a a wild donkey's colt. And with solemn explanation, I'm but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will ever tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man, as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. End of quote. My encouragement to you is to meditate on the Lord and his majestic character. Extol him, praise him, exalt him. In his compassion, his being slow to anger, his grace, his rich in love, the glorious splendor of his majesty. As we close our service, we want to sing together, singing several songs that reflect on God and who he is, as Travis comes to lead us.